0: Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. My name is Chris. I'm joined today by my wonderful co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. This is episode 45, and we're continuing our discussion about the liturgy. Uh, in particular, we're taking a look at uh, the entrance to the, the liturgy in both the Traditional Latin Mass and also the Novus Ordo, as well as we're going to take a look at uh, the liturgies of St. John Chrysostom, and uh, yeah, so we're just going to continue on and tell everybody how much we love the Mass because that's that's what we do. How are you guys doing? Great, it's
1: pretty ter- well. Thanks.
0: That's a, a terrible intro. I know.
2: Let's see you do a terrible, <laughs> a terrible entrance. Yeah, Terrible introit. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not very good at this stuff. It's tough going off the cuff, you know? It is. Yeah. You, if me- only
2: you had some kind of codified way that you had to introduce the podcast every single time, that yeah. would really make sure you were prepared. That's right. You know, mentally and spiritually for what you were about to undertake. <laughs> If the podcast was way more important, like if it was the most important thing in the world, we would definitely do that.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you're part of this podcast, Mike. Have I told you that? Have I told you that lately? I'm glad that you both are like, you guys are just, you're, it's just great hanging out with you guys. I always look forward to like <laughs> hanging out and like just chatting. Like we've been, we've been doing this almost like every weekend, you know? We we've yeah. never talked this much, like besides like when we Mike and I used to play Halo, which was almost every night when we were yeah like,
2: really until I young. came around. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was a different time, <laughs> not before, a better time, just a different
1: time.
3: Before
0: the Empire.
1: <laughs> Ooh. You can call me the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel powerful as I sit here in my bathrobe.
2: <laughs> you know the internet can hear that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am not ashamed. I also have a top knot. There. I said it.
0: Wow. You you look kind of like a ninja a little bit right now.
1: Pretty bad-looking ninja. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Combination ninja and grandma. grandma. <laughs>
1: yeah. I got my fuzzy slippers on and
2: yeah,
1: got all my steps in on the Fitbit. Did you? Nice. Fit- I did. I think I got about 13,000 today.
2: Whoa. That's a lot. Brooke man. is pro at Fitbitting. She gets so many steps.
1: So wow. not only am I kind of like a grandma, I'm like a... Like a, a middle-aged woman that just got a Fitbit and got to get your steps in.
0: <laughs> My supervisor <laughs> is like that at work. She's like, you know, as soon as the, the warmer weather comes around, she's like, I went, like, she'll do team meetings and she'll come on the team like on the like conference call and she'll be like, I just went. <laughs> For a walk, I'm trying to get in my steps. On break, I'm I'm almost there.
3: <laughs> and the entire team
0: meeting, she's like, "It's
3: <laughs> just doesn't <the> work. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Luckily, okay, she'll never hear wrong. this podcast. But <laughs> oh, you still need six hundred and forty steps, you liar!
1: Oh, ho, 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 ho. oh hold on. Looking for my device because I felt it go off today.
2: Technical difficulties. We might be delving too deep into this topic of (laughs) exact step count.
1: If I don't say exactly what I got, people will think I'm lying. And the fans
2: need to know. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have any fans. I don't. Yesterday
1: I got eleven thousand. Didn't too bad. Anyway, I digress.
2: Okay. Yeah, we have uh we have kind of important things to talk about. Yeah, but
0: yeah, before before we get into this, I just have a very quick anecdote to share. So, as we said at the beginning, um, we're we're starting the ascent into the sanctuary and uh, the beginning, technically, of mass. Um, now that the preparation period is complete, uh, in the extraordinary form or in the traditional Latin Mass, yeah. So I just wanted to make a quick uh, share a quick story. So luckily, this person will never listen to this podcast. But today, I went to a wedding, and I attended this wedding of a coworker of mine, and the. Beginning of the wedding. So this wedding wasn't a Catholic wedding. It was done just like actually in like a meeting, like space thing in St. Thomas. And I mean, it was, it was well decorated, but you know, obviously it's not a Christian wedding. And so I walk in and I sit down and the ceremony begins and the music starts up and it's this sappy country song. And suddenly it starts glitching out so so already like their entrance song is already becoming super glitchy apparently they didn't test this before they did the actual <laughs> entrance right so oh no. so the music starts glitching so it's like you know going on and not as if country music couldn't get worse you know so now it's glitching out and then there's like the entrance of all the the bridal party or whatever and then the bride walks in this is her second marriage she comes in and she comes to the front and the the like technical ceremony begins and the officiant he you know he's going through you know the typical marriage is you know important blah 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 and now the couple is going to share their vows Um, and they've they've written them to 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 make sure it comes from the heart from both of them. Ladies first. The look of terror comes across the bride's face. Silence. She goes, uh I probably should have written that down. Uh you go first. So, so, so the groom says, okay, all right, well, and he, you know, reaches in his breast pocket, pulls out his, his vows that he had written and goes on for about a minute, two minutes, very, very saccharine, very sweet, very sappy, but well thought out vows Okay, you know, I promise to always kiss you in the morning and always kiss you at night. I promise to, da, la, 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 la. Yeah. and then, and then he ends, you know, and you know, I promise to stand by your side through thick and thin. And that's why you write things down. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was like, yeah, every like, it got so tense. It got so tense at this wedding. And then, and then the bride's like, uh you know and she says like i just really appreciate you loving me and loving my kids and you know how you know how much it means to her not a vow at all like there's no i promise to be with you for the rest of my life thick thick and thin whatever like nothing so after that then <laughs> then the uh the officiant says okay like we're going to do real vows essentially walks them through at least the basic vows which I was like okay that's good like you know at least they <laughs> at the end of it can say they've actually made legitimate vows uh and you know they you know exchange rings you may kiss the bride and then it's like okay Time to leave, you know, time for the the exit of the bride and the groom. They turn around, and the music doesn't start. And then she's like, uh, it's this song? Excuse me? And then the guy plays it. It's the complete wrong song. And she goes, ah, wrong song. Anyway, and they walk out. Oh, wow. I'm sitting there going... What did I just watch? So for the record, looping it back into the liturgy, preparation is important. So in the in the Latin mass, we have just spent four episodes discussing the preparation because it's really important to prepare yourself if it's if it's important to prepare your vows and prepare all those things for your own wedding, it's of infinite importance to prepare yourself for the wedding feast of the lamb. That's my two cents. Thanks for listening to my TED talk and you can follow us on Spotify.
2: (laughs) 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 You mean thanks for listening to my podcast. uh... (laughs) Yeah.
0: What do you think? Yeah. Uh, It was really painful. Yeah. Yeah. It's cringy. It's cringy.
2: I mean, we've been to weddings like that where it's like pre-written vows, but we've never had one that went off the rails like that. Yeah. Yeah. It,
0: <laughs> yeah. It was bad. And, and you know, like just, just thinking about it too, like I've talked with numerous priests about couples that come in and will say that they want to get married, but they want to write their own vows and the church forbids this, right? Mm-hmm. The church Mm -hmm. forbids it. And it's, I I understand just from a practical standpoint, because it prevents that from happening. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the right, the, you know, say the black, do the red kind of thing prevents those kinds of train wrecks from occurring, Mm -hmm. you know, having a million and one options, have having the ability to go off the cuff or whatever, like when it comes to these most important things of life, you need those guardrails. You do because things can go south and you don't expect it to. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. So. I just don't see the connection uh, that's uh, related at all to uh, the liturgy, but maybe <laughs> smarter people than me will get it. Uh, <laughs>
0: You're being just vague, telling,
2: right? I don't know why I'm feeling so sarcastic tonight.
0: <laughs> it's because 'cause you're hungry.
2: <laughs> Maybe.
0: But by the way, just a quick question. How's your Lent going so far? We're officially at the end of half of week one. Well, it is technically the end of week one. I think it's
2: going pretty well. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, I'll be honest, like I was like, this is gonna this is gonna be fine. You know. Day four, hey, Google, how many days until Easter? <laughs> <laughs> and then shame.
3: <laughs> it's
1: like, how how much of a pansy am I? Like, I just started. It's, yeah. it's not bad. The, the hardest part is when I want to do my workouts and my body is still adjusting to the Different amounts of calories that I'm taking in. Yeah. Um, I know I will adjust.
2: Um, but for, the- for the listeners, we're on the, uh, pre Vatican II fasting rules that changed in 1966, I think. Yeah.
0: Can you explain so, what that is?
2: Yeah. It used to be every day of Lent except Sundays, you would do the, uh, the familiar fast that we now have on uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, where you have one normal meal. You can have two small snacks that don't end up to a meal. And uh, then Fridays and Saturdays, you uh, abstain from meat.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's kind of a weight taken off, like a stress taken off. This year for me, because I don't have to be like, what am I going to do for Lent? You know, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's the wrong approach. But back in the day, that's that was just kind of the the norm. That's just what people did.
2: Yeah, it's kind of new, right? The whole idea of being like, I'm going to give up chocolate. It's uh, it's a brand new thing mm. Like for the rest of Christian history the church just told you this is your fast yeah and you might do additional things too obviously like you know alms giving and stuff were encouraged and other devotions and whatnot but uh,
1: and full disclaimer if, if you are one of those people that gave up chocolate for lent that's fine
2: <laughs> yes yeah, or it was just an example
1: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like I'm calling you out specifically if you gave up chocolate some people really like chocolate. <laughs> Some, yeah.
1: <laughs> but no, it's going fine. How about, how about you?
0: It's good. It's good. I'm definitely not doing the pre Vatican too fast. Um, but I'm doing, I'm doing a bunch of other penances and I am, I'm doing quite a bit of fasting. Um, That's but, great. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, and I don't know about you guys, but like, just, just the beginning of of Lent this year was weird, and mm-hmm. yeah, like even in family life, there's just weird stuff happening, and you're like, this is not, <laughs> this is not fun. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> yeah. well and even with the, you know, like the recent document that came out, like, you know, and all the other stuff that's happened too, it's like, wow, I do have a, uh, have a lot of things to fast for. Yeah. Like, if you don't know what to fast for that, yeah, (laughs) the church right now, like as it is all of it.
0: (laughs) yeah. And I think, I think that's also partially why things are getting weird. And like, like, I do think that there's been quite a bit of spiritual warfare, like Mm -hmm. for us, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you you start battling for your family, you start battling for the church, you know, and you know, like, uh. I can't remember what what bishop it was or what pope it was I should say but you know it was saying that the that lent is like our badge of of warfare and it really is and uh yeah, as soon as you really start digging into lenten penance things start coming out that that you don't necessarily expect so it's mm-hmm. almost
1: like a detox yeah you know like a the bad starts exposing itself.
2: Mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah.
2: yeah, Now, I forget who it was that said, um, I think it was like one a church father or something you said, basically, if we don't fast, we'll be like the laughing stock of Christendom. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of sad looking at the Roman right now because we have stopped fasting and if you see what um anyone in the east thinks of us we are the laughing stock yeah. of Christendom because eh, the eastern catholics and the orthodox have largely maintained their ancient fasts mm-hmm. and for various reasons in the roman rite we have watered it down and watered it down to the point where since the latest round of changes in the sixties, basically no one fasts. Yeah. Like at all.
0: That's true. It's,
2: and it seems like no coincidence that the church has come crashing downhill at the same time that she has stopped fasting. Yeah. You know, it's all goes hand in hand. The, just kind of the laxness in every area. Um, and fasting and penance has to be an integral part of the restoration if there is going to be one.
0: Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, like yeah. like our Lord even says, you know, some, some demons cannot be cast out without prayer and fasting, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start mm-hmm. eliminating prayer and fasting…
2: <laughs> it, Those demons are in there and they're yep, not leaving.
0: Yep. So yeah it's it's like that it's like that story in the Gospels too where it talks about you know, you know you expel the demons and then uh, but you don't fortify yourself and they come back sevenfold. So yeah, I I, don't know, I see exactly what you're saying.
2: yeah, I so anyone out there who's uh, struggling with their letting fast, we're with you and yeah. if you're still thinking about things to fast from because I know, I've been there too where I've started Lent and been like, okay, I have something, but maybe I should do more. Like, I don't know what to do. If you're one of those people, I encourage you to like, don't, uh, let yourself be defeated, pick up something and and go. Or if you've, you know, failed at your penance, you know, pick up and carry on because we're, uh, we're all in a battle together and we all fail at various times too.
1: There is some sense of fellowship in, in doing that uh, unified fast as well Mm -hmm. because Mike and I are both doing it. I don't want to say there's a sense of accountability, but. Why not? There is. (laughs) I saw you eat that stuff earlier. (laughs) Um,
2: yeah. It's not so much accountability, but it's like solidarity. Yeah, that's you, what I mean. You, there's a real encouragement in someone doing it with yeah. you.
0: Yeah. 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 No, that's beautiful, guys. That's awesome that you're able to work together on this too, right? And kind of go into battle hand in hand. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just think
2: that's great. That's so good.
1: I'm just doing my best to be a, a good as a connecto.
2: <laughs> Maybe someday we'll be as hardcore as our friend from church who's doing the medieval fast. That's right. That is truly, that is truly hardcore. Yeah.
0: It actually took me off by surprise. Like he was like, he comes up and he's like, uh, "Yeah, so I'm not eating until three o'clock tomorrow." I'm like. Oh my gosh, dude, like and this guy's a new trad. Like he like he just started coming to the traditional Latin mass within the last like what few months really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> I'm not even that hardcore.
2: <laughs> That'd be yeah. so
1: hard with kids. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. that props to him for going all in. Yeah. You know? Well done. Well it's done. It's just like if I'm gonna you know, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do it proper. I'm gonna do like the most hardcore rules the church has had.
1: Yeah, <laughs> boss.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's it. True. True.
0: So, shall we? Shall we hop into it really quick?
2: Yeah, let's go. Let's do into, it into uh, the mass.
0: Uh, before we do, just a quick reminder to our listeners that if you go to theologyofthebuddy.com and go to our show notes for today uh, you will see in there a link of ways that you can a way that you can support uh, the podcast which is over with our friends at Tumblr House we have an affiliate link with them and you can find the book The Latin Mass Explained by Monsignor Mormon, which uh, is one of our prime texts that we're using. So uh, go and visit our show notes at buddy.com. And if you're looking for a possible way to grow in your own love for the Latin Mass and for a way to give us a little support, it's a great way to do it. So, all right. It's a great
1: book, a great resource.
0: Yeah. Let's get into it. So we we were talking about – the fact that now we're coming into, uh, at least in the traditional Latin mass missile, um, coming into the altar or going into the sanctuary. So, so the priest says to the people, Dominus vobiscum, and the servers on behalf of the people reply at cum Tuo. I was reading in the uh, some reflections from Dom Geraget on the mass. He says that the priest salutes the people saying, Dominus Vubiscum, the Lord be with you. It as though he were taking leave of them. now that he Now that the solemn moment is come for him to ascend the altar and like Moses enter the cloud. I thought that was kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Amazing.
0: So at this point he goes up the stairs to the sanctuary. Uh, Traditionally, you would see, I think it's one step or three steps. Uh, There might be more. I can't remember. Uh, But at least traditionally, that's the case. So if you go to places like the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest in Detroit, like the St. Joseph's Oratory, you see the three steps. Anyway, so he goes up the steps to the altar and extending his ha- extending and joining his hands, the celebrant says in a clear voice, "Oremus." And then, uh, sorry, sorry, he says that before he ascends the altar. Excuse me. So mm-hmm. yeah, so he does that, and then he goes up to the altar and says, "Take away from us our iniquities, we beseech thee, O Lord, that we may be worthy to enter with pure minds into the holy of holies through Christ our Lord. Amen." Again, that reminding us that we are entering into the temple, right? The true temple, which is mm-hmm. which is Christ, right? Um, and that's actually it's quite interesting because at this point, the priest places his hands. Sorry, yeah, he places his joined hands upon the altar and bowing, he says we beseech thee o lord by the merits of thy saints whose relics are here and of all the, th- the of all the saints that thou wouldst vouchsafe to forgive me all my sins so a couple things did you mm-hmm. did you have some did you have some thoughts uh, on these last few points
2: yeah there's a few things eh? like the mention of saints and relics i think is cool mm-hmm. um that's uh, I think something you only find in the Latin Mass, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's an interesting that it's been kind of de-emphasized recently. I know you have points to talk about there, so I won't kind of try to step on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, again, the uh, asking for forgiveness, say, yeah, like it's. It's interesting how many times this is repeated. And uh, again, it's a uh, a stumbling block to the Protestants, maybe that kind of thing that they tend to regard as vain repetition, um, but that uh, the church sees as fruitful and important repetition. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's almost like with every step the priest is taking towards um the altar and mm-hmm. as the mass proceeds he is again asking God for forgiveness on behalf of mm-hmm. himself and the people that are there
2: yeah it's kind of like um it reminds me of in eastern spirituality how they uh just repeat the Jesus prayer hmm yeah just asking for mercy incessantly, right? Yeah, anyway, the the issue of repetition is interesting because you can do it for any number of reasons. Obviously, it's not because God didn't hear us the first time. It's not because <laughs> it's not because like the Pharisees were repeating prayers over and over again to be seen and admired by others. But uh we repeat these prayers because we need to change our own hearts with the words of these prayers. We need to keep asking for mercy because we're so sinful and we're so insincere when we say it, you know, we need to keep trying to uh, honestly and with our whole heart ask for mercy. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. at least how I look at it anyway.
0: Yep, and the and the thing that also um, is pointed out is that at the point where the priest places his joined hand upon the altar, he says, mm-hmm. "Oramus te, Domine." We beseech thee, O Lord. Right. It's mm-hmm. not just the priest beseeching him; it's us united with the priest begging God for that forgiveness too. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the priest is the only one who needs to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed too. We need to be set free, you know. Um, mm-hmm. like this is obviously the priest is offering the sacrifice as as an altar who's, but you know, just as there is the head, we are the members, right? Mm-hmm. The priest represents the head, we are the members, and it there's an incredible uh, similarity here or um, comparison to the altar itself. So um, So when the priest comes up, right, he comes he joins his hands on the altar and then he kisses the center of the altar. Generally speaking, that is where the altar stone would be. An altar stone, if you're not familiar, is uh, a piece of marble or uh, whatever the um, whatever the altar is generally made out, made out of. Usually, it's the same uh, material. Um, but inside of that altar stone are embedded first-class relics of saints. So, a couple things. First, let's talk about the altar. So, according to Dom G- Geringet... He says that the altar represents our Lord Jesus Christ. The saints' relics, which are there, remind us that the saints are his members. For having assumed our human nature, he not only suffered his passion, triumphed in his resurrection, and entered into his glory by the ascension, but also founded the church upon earth, and the church is his mystical body. He is the head and the saints are its members from this point of view then our lord has n- not the fullness of his mystical body without his saints and it is for this reason that the saints who are reigning with him in glory are united with him in the altar which represents him wow so cool right yeah so here's the here's the interesting thing though so i was reading a, I was reading the Adoremus Bulletin, which is a very much a Novus Ordo uh, publication. Um, but listen to what it says here, and juxtapose that to what we just read in Dom Guerinche. So he says here, traditional explanations claim that the liturgy was celebrated upon the tombs of martyrs in the catacombs of early Christian Rome. Today's liturgical instructions, however, give primacy to the altar as the object which renders honor to the burial place of martyrs, and so the presence of relics indicates not the sacrifice of the martyrs alone, but more precisely, their share in the sacrifice of Christ." the Order of the Dedication of an Altar notes that it is fitting for saints' relics to be placed under altars so that the triumphant victims come to their rest in the place where Christ is victim. So it goes on to say that the altar sh- altar should be made out of stone, but relics are, quote, no longer placed in the mensa, which is the top part, like the table part of Uh, of the altar Mm -hmm. itself as they once were, where a piece was removed from the top slab to insert the relics. According to today's liturgical instructions, relics are placed underneath rather than within the altar slab itself. This preserves the integrity of the Mensa as an image of Christ and reinforces the place of relics under not in the altar. In this way, the sign value of the altar as an image of the martyrs participating in Christ's own sacrifice becomes clear, helping the signs lead to the revelation of the mysteries. So, a couple things that I want to point out there. So, it's saying here that we no longer put the relic, the altar stone, in the main part of the altar when we're building new altars. Because we don't want to take away from the image that the altar is Christ. Dom Geringer just said, we don't simply look at Christ as the head, but also united with his members. So that's mm-hmm. why the altar stone is in like the main part of the altar. And that's why you kiss it. You're not just reverencing the altar who is Christ, you're also Reverencing the family like the 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 saints, the church triumphant who are who are with you offering that sacrifice in union, you know, to God the Father. Um mm-hmm. but here's the thing. I was talking to Julie about this, and uh Julie was saying, Well, this of course makes sense that they would do this. They've already removed the saints from the men from any mention in the confidior. So let's remove them from the site, even, even of the priest, uh, when he comes to the altar, uh, because, you know, again, another stumbling block to Protestants. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So I was watching this video of, uh, they, they did these, uh, church tours on salt and light TV and of, and featured different dioceses and they showed the diocese of Ottawa. Um, and I've got a soft spot for Ottawa because, you know, I was on net in Ottawa and whatnot. Uh, but they were showing the cathedral of Notre Dame or Notre Dame, whatever you want to call it in Ottawa. And they've got a beautiful high altar, absolutely gorgeous Mm -hmm. in Ottawa. um, But they said that I guess they had had what us trads typically refer to as a Cranmer table, uh, but they had the altar separated uh, like, like a separate altar, which you would offer like you see in any other Nova sort of parish. But it was, it was movable. It wasn't a permanent fixture. So they designed the permanent fixture of the new altar. And it's like a block of marble, okay, with slits cut into it, which is illuminated from the inside. Ooh. Okay. They didn't That's want to good. take away from the high altar. Okay, well done. But the the best part, and I say that sarcastically, the best part was when um, Archbishop Pendergrass said that he pointed out that the altar stone in this altar, you can actually see it. And so if you look, he said, if you look through the slats, you can see a little box down on the floor. Uh, That's where the altar stone is. Hmm. It literally looks like it could be like just an aesthetic thing, hiding a piece of like, it, could be hiding an electrical box or it could be it like it receives no, no reverence at all. And it's not even central. It's not even where the priest would, you know, kiss it's down on the bottom left where nobody would, nobody can even reference it unless they get on the floor and like reach in and yeah, I don't know. It's, Mm -hmm. but again, this is, this is what I'm saying. I I see that removal of the altar stone as another innovation uh, that is directly trying to Protestantize the liturgy. I don't know. That's my hot take. But
1: So I'm looking at the germ right now, and there is a whole section on the altar and its appointments that starts at paragraph 296. So reading here, paragraph 298, it is appropriate to have a fixed altar in every church um, since it is more clearly and permanently signifies Jesus Christ, the living stone. It goes on to say an altar is fixed if it is attached to the floor so as not to be removable. Otherwise, it is called movable. I specify that because it talks about how if an altar is movable and it is not fixed, then it's not required that it have relics of saints in it. Now, with the old high altars, they were fixed to the wall. And they had a permanent position. So, having those relics was a Mm no-brainer. But with the new altars that they were building, paragraph 303 says, in building new churches, it is preferable to have to erect a single altar which in the gathering of the faithful was signifies which will signify the one Christ and the one Eucharist of the church. And it says that uh, having it like central so you can walk around it is better. Not true. But you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> also, it's way better to have five altars. <laughs>
1: well, one main altar and
0: then multiple side altars, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's worth reading those uh few paragraphs anyway.
2: Deal with yeah. it, Father Steve. More <laughs> altars is better. <laughs> and more masses is better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah.
1: But yeah, it's, it's just weird that they would say that it's, you know, okay to have a movable altar and you no, know, not have any now, did they or...
2: have any movable altars before they started doing the backwards altars, like separate ones. Cause I, I think I have seen, I might be wrong, like a movable high altar. It wasn't a huge one, but it was one that was meant to go against the wall and could be like picked up and moved. Weird.
0: Yeah. I don't know
1: it does say here in 302, the practice of placing relics of saints, even those not martyrs under the altar to be dedicated is fittingly retained. So would that be like, you could just put it on the floor and have the altar on top.
2: I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I don't don't know. I'm asking you guys. The other thing
2: is it says it's been retained, not that it's been changed. Right. So hmm.
0: the, uh, I mean, the thing is, right there, uh, you know, when they talk about the fact that there was a, you know, you would say mass on the tomb of a martyr, y- you know, you're saying it on the literal tomb of an alt of a martyr. So, mm. yeah, it's like a coffin sized tomb. You know, it- it's not like you have like a very small piece of bone somewhere fixed in that altar you know, where you don't even necessarily know or nobody else knows where it is. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I I just find it weird. Yeah.
1: I could go into the design choices of a lot of uh, altars.
2: (laughs) But don't go there because we only have one life to live.
1: (laughs) Yeah. One looks like a table from Ikea. One looks like it belongs at a church to be used for the Holy Sacrifice. Yep. That's it.
2: Yep. Um, So can we, um, sorry, go ahead, Chris.
0: I was just going to say another thing to point out too, is that in the oftentimes in the Latin mass, you will see parishes that have actual reliquaries on the altar Mm -hmm. too, right? Like our parish has four, Different reliquaries yeah. that sit in between the candles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's that points out that like we're surrounded by the saints at this mass. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just us and it's not just our Lord, right? It's our Lord and his members. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they do that in the Novus Ordo as well, right? So, but it happens the at the beginning the of the mass, right? But yeah. again, it's it's only in the Novus Ordo. It's only a reverencing. I mean, in if if it's, this is the case, it's we're not reverencing the altar stone. We're just simply reverencing the the image of Christ, the altar, right? Because we call we say that Christ is the altar. The, the sorry, the priest, the victim, and the altar of sacrifice, right? Yeah. So.
2: Um. Yeah, it just says in the germ simply that they kiss the altar. Right?
1: Is there a reason in the Novus Ordo that the priest will go behind the altar to face the people to kiss the altar?
0: Generally, that's where the uh, the altar stone is. That's where he says the mass
2: from. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just kisses it from wherever he's going to say the mass from.
1: Mm.
2: Right?
3: Yep.
1: Okay. Well, because nine times out of ten, uh, maybe not even that. Like the tabernacle is behind the altar in good quote, quote, design parishes.
2: Yeah. So I one last thing uh, I had for the altar was just in Mormon, the four reasons he says that the priest kisses the altar. Um, and some of them are no longer relevant based on what we've been talking about, right? So he says um, that the priest bows and kisses the altar, and this is done, first, out of respect to the altar, which has been consecrated by the bishop. Second, out of respect for the body and blood of Christ, which rests in the tabernacle upon the altar. Third, out of respect for the saints, relics of whom are preserved in the altar stone. And fourth, out of respect for Christ, who is symbolized by the altar. So we get often only two out of those four Mm -hmm. at our usual Novus Ordo masses. I mean, even at our Latin mass, because we're in a modernized building, unfortunately, the tabernacle is not there, which is a shame.
1: It's off to the side.
2: Um, but ideally, you should be reverencing all of those things. The, uh, the actual physical altar as a blessed object, the symbol of Christ, the Eucharist and the saints all with the one gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Once you start breaking down these things that the church has built up, um, you just impoverish that gesture, right? Now it's, it seems the only thing that's retained is the symbolism of Christ altar, which is a good thing, but it's only like a quarter of the reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Um, j- another another just kind of uh, factoid uh, to. Add to the fact that the altar represents Christ. Another thing that happens during the prayer of dedication for an altar um, is they pour oil on the altar, which represents, um, let's see here, according to, yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas, he says that it signifies Christ's holiness, right? As a king. Which is very mm. cool.
2: Very cool. That is cool. Should we go on to the introit?
0: Well, before we do, there's the incensing. Maybe we can just kind of briefly talk about that. Right. So Mm -hmm. incense smells great. Looks great. Mm -hmm.
1: Probably doesn't taste that great though.
0: It's true. She's right.
2: (laughs) Um, At least I assume she is.
0: (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean incense was used in uh in early times in divine worship. Um it the use of it harkens to the book of Revelation, uh, where yeah. where we hear about the angel holding the bowl full of incense, uh, which was the prayers of of the saints rising to God. Um mm-hmm.
2: yeah. So it's very important symbolism. And it was used in uh in the temple and Judaism, yes. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So Lots it's not of just, uh, it's not like a middle ages mm-hmm. thing. It goes back further than the church itself, really. Yeah, unless, I mean, the church extends into temple Judaism in a yeah. sense too, but yeah, it extends all the way back before the incarnation. Um, is there, any, are there any differences in the rules are kind of different in, like in um, the TLM, it's always incense at high masses, right? Yeah. And it seems like in the the general instruction for the Novus Ordo, it's basically incense when you feel like it. Mm-hmm. It kind of just says as, oh, what's the exact quote? It's something like as the situation suggests or something, as the occasion suggests or something like that. Uh, Yeah. As
0: the occasion suggests, yeah. Article 49, as the occasion suggests, the priest also incenses the cross and the altar.
2: Yeah. What does that mean? There's no actual guideline there. Mm
1: -hmm. Usually now they only really use it at Easter and Christmas.
2: Yeah. Like did the other masses not, are they not an occasion that, Suggests it's incense, which symbolizes prayer. Right. It's very I vague.
0: It's very vague. And the thing is, like in the TLM, there's specific rules around this first incensing, right? um So, at this, according to Dom Gerger, he says, at this part of the Mass, the altar stone and the priest are thoroughfied. The incensing of the choir is reserved for the second time of the second of the ceremony, which is at the offertory. It is one of the customs of the church to expose on the altar images and relics of the saints, which then are incensed at the same time.
3: That's
0: cool. Yeah. I, I love, I love what Dom garage says here. He says, thus our Holy mother, the church, the faithful bride of Christ wishes to do as heaven does and taking advantage of the veil of its mysterious secrets being even thus partially raised up by the beloved disciple, that being St. John in the book of revelation, uh, she borrows for our earth's imitation, the tribute of honor thus paid yonder above to the glory of her spouse.
2: (laughs) That's so poetic. Right. Right. It's, like, come on. it's just like it's like someone way smarter and holier than us making the point that <laughs> it hearkens to revelation, yeah, yeah. which we just said earlier. Yeah.
0: If we but, wanna if we wanna put that in layman's terms, uh it would be as the occasion suggests, the priest also incenses the cross and the altar. <laughs> <laughs> Like you, yeah. and and the thing it doesn't even say that the the priest is thoroughfeed. It's only the cross and the altar. So the so the priest who offers the sacrifice, his prayer essentially, like if we're talking about the if you want to call it the mystagogical catechesis that's occurring with him, right? When he's being incensed, it draws our mind to realize his prayers are being offered to God at this point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. A weird omission. Yeah. Definitely.
1: They use incense in the divine liturgy as well.
0: Yeah. Do you have some, some a lot info of on that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> um, so after the entrance with the gospel, the, uh, the choir will chant. And uh, yeah, he will incense pretty well everything. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to look at specifically um, what, to, what he is incensing, or whom he is incensing. Yeah, it just says here the sensing is a sign of prayerful reverence and homage. As the smoke of the incense ascends, thus may our prayers ascend to heaven and be acceptable to God. There you have it.
2: Yeah, very it, straightforward. But if you've been to the Eastern Rite, <laughs> you'll see they do. The,
1: yeah, uh, they do incense the the altar. I don't. Is it still called the thurible?
0: Yep. Well, it is in okay. the, the the Latin Rite or, or sorry, the Roman Rite.
1: Yeah, well, their thurible equivalent is pretty cool. It's got like bells on it and stuff.
2: Whatever's Greek for a thurible, I assume. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> if we have any Eastern Rite people, please get involved. Tell us. Shout
0: out to Bill Dykstra.
2: Yeah.
1: Hi, Bill.
2: I love the bells on the uh, Eastern Thurible. I don't know if we mentioned it before, but they, I think they usually have 12 bells. Oh, wow. For the Apostles.
0: No way. The That's cool.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and when you see them, swing is it just there's a specific motion that they have to use and I'm so stressed when they do it because you you think they're going to hit something with it or they're going to hit themselves or somebody is going to get hit they don't they're like,
2: so well practiced
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. it's cool but, uh, it's pretty but, cool
0: let's be honest like if they did hit somebody they'd be pretty
2: incensed <laughs> it would be very insensitive if they just smoked someone with it. <laughs> It'd be terrible. It
0: would just be totally <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: Please, please tell me myrrh about this. Uh, is it myrrh? Do they, is it myrrh? That's not
2: incense. It was just given alongside frankincense at the mm. with the magi.
1: Okay.
0: I think they do put or myrrh is- in incense, though. I do think. I think so. A mask, like the yeah, like I think they put it in the yeah, in the granules or whatever.
2: Oh well, maybe you're more right than I thought.
3: Because
2: mm. the myrrh is supposed to be like the burial anointing, yeah. and the frank frankincense is, like the prayer incense. Yeah. It's like yeah. the scent. I think it's thing. the scent of of myrrh. I don't know. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I do mean, we,
2: do we actually have time for the introit? Yeah,
0: we could just quickly go through it. So, I mean, the, let's it, do that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really, really, the it, it's it's interesting how the Novus Ordo how it makes reference to the introit uh, in the. General instruction of the Roman Missal, um, where it says specifically, when the people are gathered, the priest approaches the altar with the ministers while the entrance chant is sung. Obviously, like in the Latin Mass, we've already approached the altar um, and prepared ourselves. Uh, but yeah, so it says here that they are to do an entrance, an entrance chant. But Mike was pointing out a very <laughs> a very good point about this.
2: Yeah, before before we started the podcast, I just wanted to out that it first it says there should be an entrance chant, and then in the very next paragraph it says by the way, there are four options for the entrance chant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh
0: the Novus so, the Orga. first
2: one is the actual antiphon from the Roman Missal, um, which is the actual introit. Hmm. Then there's another option, the seasonal antiphon and psalm of the simple gradual. So, probably pretty similar, but just a different psalm, different setting, that kind of thing. And then the third option is a song. From Another collection of psalms and antiphons approved by the bishops, um, which can be a responsorial psalm, interestingly. Um, and the fourth option is a suitable liturgical song approved by the bishop.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to say that some bishop approved of trading my sorrows?
0: Yes. I am sad. This this would this would have to be the case. This would have to be the case. Every single song that you play mm-hmm. for your entrance hymn should be approved by the bishop.
1: Dance moves two.
0: Dance moves two and three.
1: depends what you're feeling that day yeah oh man
2: i'm sure like this is never done in practice it's just okay we've got number four that says we can do whatever we want so we're gonna do any song we want
0: dude like i mean you and i both know that when we were doing music if there was a song that was like dude that's a banger Let's do that for Mass. <laughs>
3: we didn't go
0: to the
2: Bishop. <laughs> yeah. Entrance sin let's do it. Yeah. But you know what? If we did go to the bishop and say, Hey, can we uh like rap this song as the intro for mass? He'd be like, first of all, who are you? And second of all, sure, do whatever you want. Yeah. You know? Potential <laughs>
0: concern me. <laughs> yeah.
2: He's not in the business of approving opening hymns for mass no. you know <laughs> he
0: doesn't have time to approve that kind of stuff yeah that, but
2: and obviously the intention here is that you know maybe there would be some special way of singing a psalm or something that would be particularly meaningful to these people and the bishop would approve it, but normally it would be like, chanting psalms mm-hmm. but nova Sordo in practice it's just there's a tiny loophole so
1: and matt Mar re- just released a new album so we're good for the next 10 years yeah
2: yikes make it 20 i don't know like <laughs> yeah we're,
0: we're, we're still not we're matt still Marr. playing songs from Matt Marr, that he wrote 20 years ago at Novus Ordo Parnicius. It's
2: true. Yeah. It's true. And how sad is it that, like, Chris, you and I were worship leaders at Mass for so many years, and I didn't know about this rule until today?
0: Right. And the thing is, though, I mean, the priests, they have the missile. They have the general instruction of the Roman missile. They had all these these resources. We didn't. We're just basic laypeople. They like they could have said, "Hey, you know that new song from Hillsong? We probably should play it until we get that one approved." You know, if you wanted to fall to the T, what was going on there? You know. Yeah. Um,
1: when a dad doesn't have control of his household, you end up with trading my sorrows. <laughs> Days of Elijah. It yeah. goes on. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Yep. Um I wanted to point out too another um modern liturgy that's um a lot better. <laughs> 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 the, the ordinary it has an intro. Like uh they, it seems like they're doing it in a way very similar to what the germ probably intended
3: mm-hmm.
2: where they sing an opening hymn. And then uh, when the hymn is done, they chant an in intro it very much like you would at the TLM. It's even, it's even Gregorian chant in the book hmm yeah so uh,
0: yeah um random factoid so according to dom Gerger, so formally the introit was not done the ordo of saint gregory tells us that the priest vested in the secretarium and then went to the altar preceded by the cross and the torches during which time the choir sang the introit so that's similar to, kind of, I guess, what you see in the Novus Ordo, right? Because they, if if they followed this to the T, that would be the case. The Introit would be sung, mm-hmm. and the people would be coming. Uh, the priest and assisted by the servers would be coming out.
2: Um, but yeah, so yeah, it says, and that's how it was before the prayers at the foot of the altar, right?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it says here, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it goes on to say during which time the choir sang the introit, which was longer than we now have it, for the entire psalm was sung, and not mm-hmm. merely one or two of its verses, with the Gloria Patri, as at present. In like manner, mm-hmm. it was the choir alone that took the remaining portions, which were to be sung during the mass. The custom of the priests reciting these several portions originated with that of low mass, which custom was at last introduced into high masses. Interesting. Yeah.
2: The custom of singing the introit, I was reading on Catholic Encyclopedia. It's super ancient. That's something that we can be pretty confident is apostolic. Like it's in. All of the old documents of the liturgy that we have today, if I go back, like if you look in, like the fourth and fifth century, these documents, they have antiphons, um, to sing before and as the priest is coming in, basically. And yeah, they're described as, um, antiphona ad introitum. Basically, yeah, yeah. Entrance antiphons. Right? So the terminology is the exact same.
0: Did you Did you read that thing in Mormon about masses for the dead? I found that very was very interesting. Yes, Mormon,
2: Mormon, Mormon. <laughs> Every time you say Mormon, I keep thinking <laughs> Mormon. Anyway, um, yeah. How he? Um, what is it? He. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: like both both the priest and the choir make the sign of the cross at the beginning of the introit, because it is considered oh, he does it. Yeah. as the opening of the readings. Um, And technically, he says, Mormon says that technically that is the real beginning of Mass, right? Yeah. But he says that, um, yeah, in Masses for the Dead... Dom says, masses for the dead, the priest makes the cross over the missile only, which I thought that's interesting. But but uh, Mormon, Monsignor Moorman, uh, says that the reason why he does that is because it, this is understood as directing the blessing to the souls in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Cool, right? I love that. Yeah, like
2: he does it kind of, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Just neat. That thing about the mass starting at the introit, it makes a lot of sense if you think about the history of the prayers of the foot of the altar, right? Because that's preparation for mass. It was originally done in the sacristy, and then it was brought out into the foot of the altar. But... It wasn't necessarily inserted into the mass, right? It's still technically before the mass. It's just the preparation is now done mm-hmm. with the people at the foot of the altar.
1: At a little mass, does the mass begin at the introit?
0: It would just happen like normally. It just, there's no
2: S spare, just me. Oh, okay. Right. That's what I thought. There's still yeah. prayers at the foot of the altar. Okay. No. Yeah.
1: The,
0: uh, the one thing that I thought was cool too, Monsignor Moorman uh, said that the reciting of the introit reminds us of the ancient world sighing for the Redeemer and begging God to hasten his advent. It should awaken within us a great esteem for the same Redeemer whom happily we possess and whose benefits we enjoy in the present sacrifice. The priest repeats the introit to mark the holy impatience of the patriarchs and the frequent prayers they made to god to send the redeemer right cuz yeah, you go I through that. you go through the introit right so for example the the introit for this upcoming sunday in lent is he shall cry to me and i will hear him i will deliver him and i will glorify him i will fill him with length of days he that dwelleth in the aid of the Most High shall abide under the protection of God, the, of the God of heaven. And then it says the Gloria, and then back again we say he shall cry to me, and I will hear him. I will deliver him, and I will glorify him. I will fill him with length of days. And that's, that's from cool. Psalm ninety.
2: I I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I missed one thing that I meant to say about the ordinariate. It's kind of funny how this liturgy incorporates some of the Novus Ordo changes, but still has some DLM stuff too. So some of it, it feels a little bit mixed up when you think about it in this whole breakdown because they do their introit at the beginning, like the Novus Ordo, but whereas in the Novus Ordo, they immediately, um, kiss the altar, and then start into the act of penitence. In the ordinariate liturgy, they say the introit, and then they do their version of prayers at the foot of the altar. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's all in an order that's totally mixed up. Like it's taken parts of the Novus Ordo, but parts that are left over. Yeah from the TLM that weren't cut from it, that were cut from the (laughs) Nova (laughs) Sordo. It's it's all weird. Yeah. And I love it because it has more of the good stuff left, but it's very weird. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe we could just end the podcast discussing the Kyrie because we have kind of already talked about that. Um, but I pointed out last week from, uh, Father Smolarski FJ, um, where he basically says that the, um, the Kyrie Christe Kyrie Eleison was wrongly attributed to the three persons of the Trinity, uh, and that that was proven wrong by modern, uh, liturgists. But guess what, Father Smolarski? Guess what? Listen to this. And I quote, also, hashtag uh, Mormon is right. Uh, Get his book in our show notes. He says, quote, Pope Innocent III gives this reason for this practice. Quote, the Father and the Holy Ghost have only the divine nature But in the Son, there is a double nature, the divine and human. To call attention to the Son's human nature, we address him as Christe, that is, anointed. In the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the human nature was anointed, united with the divine. Right? So…
2: Burn. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. we we address Kyrie eleison to the Father… Christe on to Christ, and then Kyrie leison to the to the Holy Ghost. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yes. You mean we didn't just like randomly say the Kyrie nine times only to Christ? <laughs> right. Right. That number makes no sense if you're not addressing it to the three persons. Okay. And just for reference, Pope Innocent the Third. I would. Looked it up before the show. Pope in 1160. This is not a, a new development that trads are making up to try and justify their weird Kyrie. <laughs> Uh Yeah.
1: <laughs> Can I read this section? It's oh, it's so the
2: curie and the germ? Yeah. Yeah. Because this on.
1: last sentence is a head scratcher for me. So this is paragraph 52. After the act of penance, the curiae is always begun, unless it has already been included as part of the act of penitence. Since it is a chant by which the faithful acclaim the Lord and implore his mercy, it is ordinarily done by all, that is, by the people in the choir or cantor having a part in it. As a rule, each acclamation is sung or said twice, though it may be repeated several times by reason of the character of the various languages as well as the artist of the artistry of the music or of other circumstances. When the Kyrie is sung as part of the act of penitence, a trope may precede each acclamation. What?
2: Are you confused by the word trope? Yeah. We talked about it in the last episode, didn't we?
3: Yeah,
0: I isn't, think so.
2: Isn't that um, when it's... Like Lord, you were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, yeah. have mercy. That part before the curie ah, okay. is a trope. Okay, it's not like uh, a TV tropes trope. Okay, <laughs> I think I made this joke on the last episode too. I was.
1: It wasn't that funny then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like it, it's not like uh, you know. A farm boy who is the chosen one or something. It's not that kind of trope. No. It's
1: like how how much how much choice did they get in Mm -hmm. just willy-nilly saying whatever they want as part of the Curie? So I
0: don't know. Just just a a side note. So according to Dom Guergier, he says formerly it was the practice in many churches to intersperse them, the curies, uh, with Sorry, interspersed them with words which were sung to the same melody as the invocations themselves, as we find in several old missals. The missal of St. Pius V did away almost entirely with these curiae, called, on account of these popular additions, farsadi in French, far, farcies. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When the Pope celebrates a solemn mass, the singing of the Kyrie is continued during the act of homage, which is paid him on his throne. But this is an exception to the present observance throughout the church. So, yeah. So, we used hmm. to have tropes, I guess is the word would be. But then St. Pius V did away with those because they were a farce
2: or farce. Is that what that actually means? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of want to find out what Fake a far- news. what farchies
0: is. Hold on. Let's find out.
2: New- news, Chris.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm making it up, okay? Uh <laughs> uh Interesting. Interesting. Listen to this. So farci comes from the old French farciré, so it's got to be this. Um I'm not I pronouncing that probably terribly in French, but it's an adjective. It means stuffed, especially with oh, finely God. ground meat. So you <laughs> so you would have mushrooms farci.
2: <laughs> Let's just stuff some more prayers in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh so, so cool. Make it stuff up.
2: Stuff the curie. Oh stuff the curie.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: So uh, <laughs> so next time you go to a Nova Sorta Mass and you hear those tropes, you know that you've got a stuffed Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it looks yeah. like they're serving up a stuffed Kyrie for Mass today.
1: I remember when we first started coming to the TLM regularly and listening to how beautiful the Kyrie's are, mm-hmm. um, how the tones change depending on the seasons, too. Mm
3: hmm.
1: Sometimes I get kind of nervous when the Lord have mercies are sung with, quote, quote, artistry. So the Novus Ordos, the melodies are just not even close to as pretty. as no. the ones we are used to now.
2: Why does it make you nervous?
1: Sometimes it's just bad.
2: Oh, you're just afraid how cringe it's going to be. Yeah.
1: Like, like in terms of melody, hmm. can you hear the guitars yet?
2: No, all I hear is Orbeez Factor.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's the mm-hmm. one.
0: Yeah. It, but again, that universal nature of those curious.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right?
0: That you can go to a Latin mass in Rome, you can go to a Latin mass in Australia, and you're you're potentially going to know what what curiae or what Gloria. Like you'll you if you're a regular attendant of the the traditional Latin mass, you'll you'll have an idea. Um, and
2: mm-hmm. which one it should be, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, I think that that lends to that kind of that idea of like the Tower of Babel you know mm-hmm. like the vernacular having masses in a million different languages and like it just it becomes it it's difficult to like I mean I've gone to like Spanish masses and and whatnot and I've no idea what's being said you know um yeah. I can guess. I- but I don't know. A
1: friendly reminder is having multiple languages was a punishment.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: There is a universalism in one language, Latin.
2: Universalism's a lie, though. <laughs>
1: okay. Maybe that's not the correct way. Is that the wrong nature. word? Yeah. Universal nature.
2: Catholicity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Properly understood. Yeah. You didn't say anything wrong. I was just making a joke. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So, but, but you're right, though. Like, it, it makes it difficult to, to enter in. <clears throat> I mean, even if you watch Masses in Rome, for example, and it comes to the time for the general intercessions, and they get up and it's like, okay, then you've got, you know, Lady from America, Lady from... South America, lady from Thailand, lady from, you know, I mean, if you're a person sitting in the pews, you know, not that there are pews in St. Peter's, but if you're sitting there, you're going to go like what was just said. I have no idea. Cause I don't speak Thai, you know, I don't, I don't speak Swahili. Like, so anyway. I think that's a good podcast. I think that's a good place to end. What do you say? Yeah. 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 Cool.
1: So next week, the Gloria? No. Actually, Not. no, because we don't do it during Lent. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: we'll we'll come we're back still to it. talk
1: about it. <laughs> oh, we're gonna come
0: back to it. No, I'm just saying, like we could. In the spirit of Lent, come back
1: to the Gloria <laughs> yeah. Yeah. after Lent's over. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I think going through yeah. it all properly yeah. Yeah. It
0: yeah. makes no, we more will. sense. We will. Okay. But um, but next week, Mike, myself, we the interview. and Billy Griffith of OK Catholics are getting together to discuss trads, Trump, the philosophy of voting. And we're gonna dabble
3: in
2: American politics because we have a death wish. And <laughs> we don't know anything about what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, but that's but according to Billy, that that gives us an edge because we we were out of our element. So
2: yeah, um, at the very least, if we have plausible deniability if we say anything terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll be honest. I have like zero understanding of most. Um, political groups and parties I just there's just too much just on my brain Um, but I will be with you guys in spirit holding a bowl of popcorn and just listening Mm
0: it will be good
1: the gif of Michael Jackson just eating popcorn at a movie theater (laughs) that'll be me
2: (laughs) too funny we're making a terrible mistake.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you you know what though, we we talked about it in particular in season 1, I think, about the importance of getting out of our echo chamber. And mm-hmm. you know, like Billy has been sharing some stuff on his Instagram, a lot of people have been talking about it, sharing it out, and you know, I think he brings an interesting insight into things and um it's not the, it's not kind of the, the thing that you'd expect. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate his frankness and his honesty. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really good, good chat. And, uh, yeah, and if you're, if you're, uh, going to check it out, uh, just, yeah, get ready because it's, I think it's going to be a spicy one. I do. Well,
1: we have, We have politics here in Canada. Do we everybody? Yeah. I mean it's all messed up. None Mm -hmm. of it makes sense.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But
1: the same kind of topics we
2: our politics are so bad, we're jealous of Trump. (laughs) I can't sum it up any better than that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It is true. It's Um, true, though. Yeah. Hey. It's true (laughs) though. (laughs)
0: well guys thank you very much again for hanging out thank you to everybody for for hanging out with us and listening Uh, to all of those who gave up like social media and podcasts for Lent we see you we see you because we see the numbers have dropped happy Easter (laughs) (laughs) happy Easter to you (laughs) um But uh, yeah, if you're, if you haven't given up like social media and whatnot for Lent, give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, You can find us at Theology of the Buddy. Uh, You can email us, Theology of the Buddy at gmail.com. We love emails. We've getting a few and uh, yeah, it's been great.
2: The email, the email. Uh uh. the email.
0: Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else that you guys can think of before we sign out?
1: I'm so glad that we're here together.
0: Me
2: too. love you guys.
1: I wish... Could you imagine if 10 years ago an angel showed up and said, you guys are going to be doing this podcast? Yeah. Hits me in the feels. Makes me really happy.
0: Mm -hmm. I'd I'd call hacks, to be
2: honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God does good things. He does.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah awesome well uh yeah so thanks again everybody for listening we'll see you next wednesday our podcasts come out come out at five thirty a.m eastern standard time so you can uh, download us on spotify google podcasts itunes or apple podcasts Yeah. You can actually follow us on YouTube as well. I know that there's a few, we have a few subscribers on YouTube. Not all of our episodes are up there, sadly. Uh, we'll try to figure out how to get our backlog, uh, uploaded, but yeah. So thank you to everybody who's hanging out with us and, uh, we consider you buddies. Thanks buddies. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's end this. So from all of us to you, stay Stay traddy.